This episode of Super Pulp Science is brought to you by the letter T and Drawing Comics the Stephen Way, which is not a real book, but you can see all the other stuff he did at infinitestudio.ca. And you can see a little bit more at infinitestudio.ca slash Stephen. Attention, citizens, it's time for Super Pope Science. This is Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how a genre gets made. I'm Gregory Kamichek. I'm here with my long-suffering co-host, Justin Curry, known the world over as Chasing Artwork. And today in studio, we have Stephen Call on the call to tell us about uh, making comics um, the Stephen way. Well, I mean, it's basically the Marvel way because I've had that book since I was 12, so. <laughs> so say we all, so say we all. Okay, well, we might as well dig right into it. Uh, making comics the Marvel way. When did you get your copy? How ruined is it? How often have you had to replace it? And when did you realize how much of it was mostly bullshit? Um, got it when I was like 12. Um, it's not ruined. It's right here. I take good care of it. Oh my god! So, you know, it's a little like feathered or whatever. I just got a chill. I haven't seen that book in a couple. Oh of years. man, we have. I have one here on the show. I've here. got one too somewhere. Yeah. 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 And um, most of it is almost useless. Um, however, if you're looking for like a quick panel or something like that, it can really give you a quick like oh like like a, I thought it's like oh all I have to do is like flip the horizon like this. It's like a quick easy pull. Is Salbushema um, or is it John? Sal- John Buscema. Big John, yeah. Big John on that one. It's basically um, should have been titled Making Comics the John Buscema Way, which yeah, none of us can do. He's too good. Yeah. So yeah. you can just give up. So there's no point in following along. Only he can do that. Yeah. And the reason it's out right now is I just did eight pages where most of the characters were female. And I haven't like, it just in the books, Lennon and I do, I haven't had to draw many female characters um and so there's like a whole thing on faces like like see that part's great i actually those are the parts i like about that and like it's a pretty generic face but like it's a pretty strong looking face and like you know strong these physically strong female characters is what i needed to do like a a like a you know physically larger person um and so i was like oh john drew like she hulk and, and all this so I'm like I could find a place in here where this works and it just helped me work because like e- like when you're drawing faces male or female um like well I guess primarily those features um even in the most rigid strong faces to define it there are certain things where like maybe the cheekbones swoop a little differently and stuff mm-hmm. to, and this just helped me grab those angles and pull it so that's why it's been kind of my my side piece for the last that end watch has been very helpful as well oh well <laughs> yeah 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 and you know maybe Dave Gibbons a little more useful because he'll draw a more a wider variety yeah you no know, um you know both John actually both John and Sal in their body of work had kind of one female face they'd use in lots of contexts but yeah. as we know uh humans are many and varied 
Mm -hmm. And so if you're trying to represent a many and varied world in your storytelling, maybe you shouldn't draw the same woman's face over and over, the same yeah. face over and but over. But somehow you can discern different, like one character to the other, even if they always use the same face all the time. Different wigs. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's something to that. Um, you know what that is? That's the magic of cartooning, a real skill. You yeah. know, very subtle variation, conveying a lot of information. Yeah. Yeah. You got to move fast no matter what. So sometimes those little techniques help so, okay so you draw all the time on a cintiq now is that yes yes oh i'll pick it up <laughs> you're just showing it off yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. but i mean those haven't been around forever so tell me your relationship with making marks on paper and when did that start probably around the same time you got making comics to marvel with. yeah i remember I'd say elementary school, um, like, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. So I never really kept a sketchbook, I still don't. Um, what I would do is I had this old gray clipboard and I'd take a stack of eight, eight and a half by 11 printer paper and I'd shove it under the clip and I'd go to school with that clipboard, with paper, with a stack of Nintendo Power magazines. Sweet. <laughs> and I would just draw pictures out of those Nintendo Power magazines every day. Um, like it would be like my workbook with the Nintendo powers and then my sketchbook, like just as a stack on my desk in the top right corner. And once it clicked that I'm like, I did okay in school. I, I could absorb what the teacher was saying. Once I clicked, I'm like, okay, that's what this is today. Out came the paper. And I would just draw, draw, draw. I always had a lot of trouble keeping a sketchbook. Like I would had this, when we moved into our house last year, I had this stack of sketchbooks. Wait, is this going to be on video or just audio? Just, just audio. audio just audio so uh for the for the listener uh, you know i had this stack of sketchbooks that was probably two feet high and maybe two of them were full and one of those two was full because i said i'm gonna finish a sketchbook you know <laughs> um so yeah it was always loose paper all the time and a mechanical pencil. is that why do you know just I, I don't know. I, I never really put sketchbooks on a pedestal. I think I just liked what I liked at the time. And then I went from doing that to digital in maybe a slow transition. So just habits, just how the habits. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, uh, I collect sketchbooks when I travel. That's like my thing. Every time I go to a new place, the first store I'm looking for is like a stationary store and I want a sketchbook. Oh, I thought you were going to say you steal it from artists at the show. Yeah, that's the first impression I got there. Too. Scoop yeah. them off the table. Oh my God. Like their sketchbooks. That if somebody stole my sketchbook, it'd be like a horror crux. A part of my soul is in there. The amount of like ideas and notes and lists of things to do that are, that are in there that I, I would instantly forget because it's, it's a way of, like decluttering my brain, right? Like all the things that I'm thinking about I need to do in the next little while, I dump out into the sketchbook in a list, make some doodles. And then now that frees up the RAM in, in my brain yeah. to go about yeah. my day, you know? Yeah, it was really, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just never did that. Um, like well, even nowadays- of school, Stephen, I think that the difference between you and us is that your brain had more room in it. You <laughs> Maybe, would just sit yeah. and like, okay, that's the lesson. Okay, great. Now I'm going to do this other thing. I didn't yeah. hear you say I took notes and wrote down yeah. the lesson. No, I didn't hear that part. I didn't take notes. I don't know if I'd say I'm proud or not proud of that, but I, I, I didn't take notes all the way through to when I graduated university, like <laughs> nothing. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. Even, but even like now, like 
when I'm making comics all the time, I got a thumbnail. I spend 40 hours a week at work. I do have downtime at work sometimes and I, uh, I, I'll thumbnail um, pages, but like I'll do that with a pencil on paper, but it'll be scrap paper from work. And then I'll, I'll fold it into eight little like rectangles and draw it all. I fold it up. I put it in my back pocket. And then when I get home, I flatten it out on the desk. I might scan it or something. And, uh, and then it disappears sometime later and I never see it again. So, yeah. It's gone forever. Our old king. You try to get rid of him, but the king is everywhere. You can't get rid of him. See you later, alligator. Ever. Your relationship with like the printed material or like the emetheria that leads up to the creation doesn't hold. I find this fascinating because I'm mildly obsessed with it myself. Like I almost fetishize yeah. the process before the event. Uh, whereas you're like, no, man, I got it. The page is what counts. I got to get into it. Like, like I can plan all day, but if I can thumbnail on the computer, I will because that thumbnail means I've already planned the structure for the page. And then I can go right back in with another layer and start penciling, go right back in and ink and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, it's just one, it's always leading to the final product. And that, that's my big win. Like mentally, creatively is the final product is, um, seeing the finished page and being like oh man i did that it's like the sketch is fine but it's always just an ingredient leading up to that final point so are you a big fan of like in your finished books do you include the thumbnails and roughs and sketches do those end up in the back of the book i'm sure one day they will um we haven't had a book where we've really had room for that yet oh. um but i would have all those sketches even if they're digital they, they would be in there and I would be able to dig through here enough to find something that I put on paper. All, like one of my favorite parts of most books is if they have like the, yeah, the concept art in the back, that's usually, oh yeah. Yeah. The highlight for me. Yeah. I love that too. Um, and, and that is something I think about. It's like when there comes a point where I have books that I'm publishing all the time or something like that, like, what if I don't have all this stuff? <laughs> like what if Lyndon's like, get me sketches, get me sketches. And I'll be like, ah, I'm gone. You'll fake it. You'll just draw one right there. Yeah, I'll just quickly sketch. Yeah, I'll just scribble it out. Isn't this like the beginning of your story? Isn't the classroom work? You kind of, okay, I got it. Now I'm getting down to what I like. I'm going to drop them in Nintendo Power. Yeah. This is what you're doing. Yeah. You're just. And it's how I've always been. I don't, I guess I do a lot of prep, but it's more all part of a fluid process than like, um, sacred stages i guess you know oh yeah i wish i was as free of that process i'm gonna be i'm gonna be thinking hard on my own uh maybe unnecessary processing of some things i don't know i'll get back to you in a future episode and i'll tell you how i pontificated about it i will say like i started at a point in comics like with infinite universe where i barely even penciled i'm like i can just ink so I got a little ahead of myself and I did bring myself <laughs> back and I do a much more tighter penciled page now as a, a full habit. So, yeah. So why don't we talk then about your projects in comics uh, to date? Sure. Give us, uh, give us a brief catalog. Okay. Well, I mean, there is, I mean, there's a very small catalog of, of stuff listeners can find, um, but there is infinite universe, which was first book self-published with uh, uh, the great Lyndon Rachenka. Um, that was back in 2016. And then a couple years after that, 
we published the epilogue for that book in Linden's anthology, What Will Not Last. Um, since that time, we've done several shorts, six pagers, eight pagers. You can see them and read them on our website, uh, infinitestudio.ca. A uh, little plug there, I guess. Um, you can see most of them and read them on the website. If you put, put a slash Steven in there, you can see a little bit more. Um, and then on the go right now, we have stuff I'm, I'm very proud of. Uh, and I can't wait, to, uh, can't wait to make it a thing because like, I don't know, Laundry Men is one of them. Uh, we've, gotten, we've gotten some grants for that one, which blew my mind. I've, I've never like had that happen before. And it was just like, well, my work was good enough for that. Um, and then there was another life, which is this. Or perhaps the government was like, you know what? If we don't help this guy out. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I, wrote, I wrote a very sappy letter about how so down and out. <laughs> yeah. And then we're also working on this one called There Was Another Life, which is um, it's six issues worth of content with the original intention being a full book. Um, but like it can definitely be broken down into six issues and that's like this ambitious story that we even get confused explaining sometimes but um recently people have found it to be um easy to follow and and, and interesting and because it tells two stories at the same time one story about how a man uh, and his um scientific partner um ruin the world and then simultaneously how he saves the world um and how you know, it's about fixing your own mistakes and accepting consequences and um, finding peace with uh, with decisions, good or bad, that you've made in the past, and um, finding a way to live around them and grow around them. So, right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that is ambitious. Mm -hmm. It is ambitious. It's fun to draw, though. Lots of lots of mushrooms and giant animals, and it's really cool. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds like a fun one. Okay, so. Talk about your process of receiving a script. Um, how much input do you have in the writing process? How much in influence in the project do you have by finishing the page and then the writer responds to it? Uh, Lyndon has been on the show many times and uh, you can see his previous uh, episodes for the other side of this conversation. I'd love to hear it from you. Sure, yeah. So when it's something with Lyndon, um, we very much create the story together. I think we've talked about this on the show before where um, kind of the characters, the names, um, what happens really comes from just like just a deadly brainstorming session, like on a long drive uh, to like the comic book store or sitting in a backyard and, and just just really like banging it out like with purpose though, like like we need it. We need what's our big opening? What's the next plot point, the next plot point? How does this issue end? What's the next one? Um, and then Lennon goes and writes a hell of a script, um, which is a really tight script too. Um, and not really a Marvel way thing where he kind of says what's, I don't know, listeners might know what the Marvel way is when it comes to scripting. Yeah, real briefly, it's like a basic plot outline. The artist then draws it and then the writer comes back and fills in what people are saying and sometimes discovers that the artist has essentially written most of it in the drawing. Mm. So yeah, yeah. And this one, it, we do the opposite where Lyndon writes a tight script and I take a look at it and uh, you don't say uh, like, hey, the story is what we wanted it to be. 
we're good. I'm going to start drawing. And then I will go panel by panel, arrange the page, figure out what's in it. But sometimes, and you know, it's like every third or fourth page, it'll be like um, what he's written makes sense, but the number of panels he's given for the kind of action or interaction that the characters are doing is uh, it's not enough or it doesn't make sense. So I'll go in there and like break it down into something that really works. Like just recently I took, uh, it was a five panel page that he had written and the way a five panel works with the grids that I use and with the content on the page, it wasn't going to work. And it is, it's now a nine panel. After the merge, it will be nice to see the humans de-evolve, won't it? What is it that they come from? I keep forgetting. Uh, it's mice or something. Apes or monkeys. <sighs> Disgusting mammals. Speak to how you break down um, an action beat. I'll give you an example. Uh, I like I'll, I'll we'll f Justin and I, Justin will help me. We're going to write a panel or, or a description of something on the page. Uh, enter a monster. Then what happens? Uh, panel one, monster enters room. Okay, monster enters room. Uh, child's ball bounces from somewhere unseen and rolls to the monster's feet. Okay, that's like four panels. <laughs> right? Every <laughs> verb is a panel, <laughs> right? So how do you then approach breaking that down? How much is your style, your sense of time? Tell me about... See, I would do that in a panel. So what I would do, let's use Justin's as an example. I, I don't remember exactly what he said, but say so it's like- enters a room and a, a kid's ball bounces in from somewhere off screen and rolls to the monster's feet. How would you break that into panels? And what the oh, okay. panels be? Yeah. So, I, so monsters at monster, monster enters room, um, kid's ball rolls to the monster's feet. And there was the last one, kid wakes up. No, um, kid appears. That sounds good. Okay, so I, I would be like, well, what are, what are components of this scene? Like, because if I draw that, you could draw that, but it would kind of, I don't know, maybe you'd have this wide shot with maybe a monster kind of in shadow, maybe partially lit by the moonlight or something, and a ball maybe two-thirds the way the room, probably going right to the left, um, it, with maybe some bouncing action lines, or, or something just to show that it's rolling that way. And then a kid kind of maybe one eye open, right? That would be like one panel. And like, that's, that's a lot for one panel. It would read well. You could maybe put some sound effects, but I would personally, I would break it down and I would have like maybe the monster entering the room, whether it's like a close up on its hand or its head creeping around the door. So the reader can get a good look at what that monster looks like. And then I would have um something showing the ball hitting the monster's foot i like um, that yeah i was thinking of that shot too of like just a close-up of the monster's foot and the ball yeah, yeah I like and that. then i would probably show the kid sleeping or uh, maybe the monster look like maybe holding the ball and then looking at the kid while it's sleeping and then your last panel is the kid waking up Ooh, creepy yeah or it's the kid waking up and then the monster in another panel seeing the kid waking up or something like that but ending on the kid waking up for a page turn would be really good i would say keep the reveal the full reveal of the monster till the very yeah. end we see his hand we see his foot we see like yeah the full monster is on the page turn 
And then yeah. the page turn when the kid wakes up or where you get the full shot of the kid yeah. and the monster, that's the first time you see this horrible monster in its yeah. entirety. Yeah. yeah. I kind of give you an example of what I did recently too. Like I'll, uh, I'll quickly burn through this five panel page. So it was like panel one, Brian turns to look at him. Panel two, Brian shoots his gun. Bang, bang, bang. Three, three S's, uh, sound effects. Panel three, more bullets pierce the monster's tentacles, causing it to recoil in pain with a sound effect from the monster. Panel four, the guys run to the door. Panel five, Brian throws the door open in the distance we can see police cars approaching. And then suggestions from Lyndon. And it's like, that works, but there's a couple panels that there's just a lot going on in those panels. So I broke it down. I was like, what are the things that are happening on this page? And I made the list and it's like, how many panels is that really? And so I made a list of like, for starting from panel one, it's um, monster with some indications that there's sirens in the background. Panel two is Brian turning. Panel three is Brian shooting. Cause it's like monster realizes then Brian turns and shoots. That's the end of like a three panel thing on the top row. And then the next panel will be the monster gets hit. The mon so blood explosion, something. And then the monster in pain. And then the monster letting the friend go. And then uh, the next one would be the guys running to the door with the monster in the background running the other way. The guys open the door and then we see the police cars outside of the door. Right? So I would break it down like that. Do you ever uh, consider when you're doing those, say, nine panel grids, you do have a fair amount of like uh, multi-grid breakdowns and many artists do. And I am approaching comfort with doing them myself. I tend not to rely on them, but I've been trying them more on more projects recently. And in the breakdown, say of a nine panel page, mm -hmm. I keep asking myself if row one is establishing a pace of time okay. between, should row two be the equivalent spans of time between panels? Should the meter of the page match on a nine panel grid? And is that in fact why you're breaking it up into even panels? Why else would you, if it's not to communicate more story? I mean, I used to be more laissez-faire about it. I would take an aesthetic look. I would just say, okay, I'm gonna do nine panels because I wanna break up and have a little more beats in here. I'm gonna have this action and this action and this action. But now I've been asking myself, why do I use more panels? If the panels represent time, what actual span of time do they represent? Mm -hmm. And why have I chosen that span of time? And does it serve the story and the mood of the story? And uh, it can make me basically stop drawing for that day if I think too much. <laughs> maybe, maybe I don't think about it. Um, I, cause I think about each panel as, I don't, I don't think about timing in the sense of a clock, but I'll think about, cause, if it's a short amount of time, like that page was a very short amount of time. It's basically a couple gunshots and then got two guys run to the door and open it. Like that's really what happens. Right. Um, but a lot happens in that time. And depending how important each beat is would kind of define may maybe how much space it takes, takes up on the page. I mean, if I'm really thinking about how I work. Um, I'm being selfish. Like if I really like a monster, I'm yeah. like, ooh, that really turned out. I want a few more panels of that monster before I turn this page because I'm having lots of fun. Sometimes that is guiding me. Yeah, 
I did that. I did that recently with um, with the eight page that I, I did for that uh, Kickstarter project we previewed a while back, um, where like you you want to kind of workshop that creature, right? And and or maybe it's something you haven't drawn in a while and you want to use that page as practice. Yeah. And so you you're like, okay, I want to try it in this position, in this position, in that one. Does that work for the story? Uh, but as far as yeah, as far as time in the sense of like how much time something's taken, I don't know if I've ever thought about it that way. Now I'm probably going to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so even then, perfect. I'm going to be throwing yeah. up sketchbooks left and right, and you're going to be like with a stopwatch trying to figure out how much time is between panels. Name right Mario. Last name Mario. Okay, what's your name? Luigi. 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 No, Luigi Mario. I think I think of panels in terms of importance to what's happening on the page. Absolutely. And like size equals yeah. importance. And then I guess, however, yeah, like what Justin just said, stories and story beats. Yeah. And it's a matter of like making points. And so a nine panel, it's kind of like three comic strips or, I mean, nine panels really fun because there's so many anchor points on it that you can. Yeah, you can have three punchlines on a nine-panel grid. Yeah, you can have three punchlines. You can have one punchline and an ending. Like your center panel could be your punchline, and everything else is supporting that panel. So yeah. there's so many things you can do. Um, I think I choose the number of panels or the layout on the page. I don't know if I ever think of it consciously, but it's like I'm all I'm thinking of like how is it best going to represent what's happening on this page? And, do you ever? Um just throw out the script just say like as written that's actually not three pages that's one panel i can get yeah. i can reach that in one very clear image and we can drive on from there yeah uh it's not often because that take i will i have done that we've definitely done that but it's not often because it, it can it can provoke rewrites right so it might be i have this idea and then I tell Lyndon about it where I'm like, we might be able to cut a page or add a page here. Um, and then that, that's some discussion because it's kind of like, well, then all this, that might ruin every story beat afterwards. Mm -hmm. um, but what I have done is maybe a, a series of three pages or two pages as written make sense, but could make, more sense or have more impact if like there's less panels or if i combine two pages into one and i spread the third into two or something like that and i, I would do that more because then i could pay attention to like what is the writer what, what is Lyndon trying to accomplish with these page turns yeah. and can i still stick to that but make it make sense in my head you know yeah, what they're trying to so like i often try to make I'll make sweeping changes or, or ask for a sweeping change to the visual image, but I, I love this way that you phrased it. You're trying not to provoke a rewrite. You're trying to elevate so that they don't need the words that are there, right? Some, yeah. That's sometimes what I'm trying to bring to it. So like in two very recent examples, I was working on the She-Wolf stuff with Jonathan Ball. I was working on a... Um, pretty sure it's announced now source point press short comic with george McHale, like a ninja comic and i realized that the the change i was going to make would provoke a rewrite 
-hmm. And so that's when I will say, hey, I have an idea. I want to change this beat. I want to change what the page turn is. I, I try to ask now. I used to just be like, oh, I'm an artist. I'm going to do it to my <laughs> way. Now I try to ask and I will say like, I'm going to make this change. I think it's going to elevate the tone or the tension that you're suggesting at in here, but it will provoke a rewrite. Um, specifically in George's book, there was a, a page turn where there was going to be, you know, panel one, samurai castle, panel two, close up on the samurai, panel three, samurai sees big monster coming, panel four, rallies the troops, right? It's going to be this nine panel grid. And I just looked at it and I said, nothing in there elevates the tension of what we're doing. I could do it. I could functionally, I could dig that ditch. But instead, what I imagined was a huge samurai castle that was the page, an inset panel that zoomed in on the uh, samurai sensing evil. In the exterior margin of the page is the monster as a graphic element. And then I used color to suggest that the monster, one color, and the, co and the samurai's expression filled with that same color, he can sense what he cannot see because he's in the building and the monster is outside the building. Yeah. In the script, it's like he looks at the window and sees it. And mm. I want to elevate this character to a more mythological status and I can do it through the composition without provoking a rewrite. Mm -hmm. Right? So these are some of the things that I find myself uh, maybe getting self-indulgent with, I guess, is a one way to think about it, right? Yeah. If I really just put it, I could just do what he asked, but I wanted to do it my way. Well, and then some, yeah. But to consider that also brings your writer back in and like you have this great idea and you want to run that by and then he goes, oh, I totally get that. I think I know how we could, like we could totally make this work. And it's like, what if I just shift this around here? And then between the two of you, you've, he's elevated your idea and you've elevated his idea. Right. Yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Well, I, yeah. And in that specific example, George then said, well, if I do that, I'll have, I'll change the dialogue later so that he knows more about the creature than everyone mm. else. Yeah. Right? Um, which was just us kind of delving into the character through its action and discovering like, how can we make him cooler? Mm. And he actually only exists for six pages before he gets killed. So we want to make him maximum cool before something bad happens, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so those are the elements where like that juxtaposition of the written word and the skills of the artist combined to make some new thing. That's oh. why it always makes me like nervous thinking about working with a writer where the artist has no, like you're supposed to follow that plan to the letter because like I'm, I'm writing and drawing a comic right now and at a certain point, I just stopped writing because I know I need to just start drawing this thing. And the more I draw, the more it's going to, the writing's going to like evolve with what's being drawn. Like they need to, I feel like they need to evolve together. So the idea of getting like an outline in a script that then you have to follow seems like a stunted process. Like you can't get the greatest product out of that. I think so. But I would, I, I would, I mean, I like the tighter script. But I told, I, I totally understand like wanting to move along with the script too. That makes a lot of sense too. I, I, I do find, just with my own art, like when I used to try to do like, like 
a page, like, like draw the whole thing, ink the whole thing, color it. I did this with a lot of infinite universe and then moved to the next page. And then the next one, I might pick up something new to do on each page. And then each page is going to kind of look different than the other page. Whereas I like having this script that, and through the relationship I've built up with my, my main writing partner, uh, Lyndon, I like, I can kind of go through his script and I'll go through, I'll thumbnail the whole thing. I'll pencil the whole thing. I'll ink it. But throughout that process, I'm interpreting everything on the go. And so maybe I'm changing things as I go with, with like putting the script on, on like in imagery, but it helps me, it helps me keep everything cohesive just because like I can kind of change it evolve. Maybe I'm more tired one day. So one page looks completely different than another one. At least my outlines and my, my support material, I guess is, is, is still strong and consistent all the way across. Look at this. It's a plumber's nightmare. These pipes have been service for years. Must've been a non-union job. You can jump around. If you know, if you know the story, you can jump to a page near the end if you really yeah. feel like working on that scene. Yeah. Um, do you work in order or do you jump around a little bit? I generally work in order, but sometimes I'll get stuck on a page and I'll just be like, I gotta this jump is around. Stupid. Yeah. I'll be like, yeah. I'm having trouble with this one. I'll go ahead and maybe finish drawing the rest of the book. And then when I come back, and I usually won't go back to that page right away because I will have left it in some state that I can, I know what's going on in it. And then I'll, once I hit the end, I'll go back to the beginning. And I'll start penciling or inking whatever stage that is. And then once I hit that roadblock page, I'm like, all right, I'm ready. And then, and then I catch it up with everything else. So. You guys find as well that page that you put off doing that roadblock that you put aside for later, by the time you eventually come back to it, it ends up being some of the strongest stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Isn't that kind of annoying? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> stuff you put off to last Yeah. is like that you don't have, you don't have clear in your head that yeah it's kind of stumping you yeah, ends up being some of the strongest work so yeah. this brings me to the russ manning approach as some people will call it it wasn't his universal way of working but sometimes on a tight deadline russ manning apocryphally would he he um in the golden age of comics did tarzan and then the uh one of my favorite uh golden age uh, creations which is magnus the robot fighter he would take the entire issue and lay out the entire issue at once, roughly in pencils, right? 32 pages in those days. And then he'd say, today it's trees. Hmm. And so he'd go through the entire issue and put trees, wherever the trees were on the pencils, he'd draw that. You know what, today, man, I'm drawing people. I've got everything. When it comes to drawing features, I'm on fire. You go in and draw all the faces, go in and draw all the backgrounds, go in and draw all the texture of the metal he would kind of sweep back and forth across the pages. And um, in a few interviews, the few that exist about his work, he would say that in this way, my bad days are hidden amongst my good days. And the entire issue is very even. Great, yeah. And like what his work looks like, is like this, it has this solidity to it that I can't imagine you can get if you go one page at a time, like, cause your work changes a little as you go forward. Yeah. But his like pages that. were spread around. You couldn't yeah. tell what day, you know? That's cool. Like, oh, something that I, I thought of when you, when you were talking there, 
like because like that rang a bell for me uh, was I've always thought of each page as a puzzle um, or like a problem that I have to solve. Like, yeah, you know, I'm looking at this script. It's like Lennon's giving me these pieces. How does it go on paper? Um, and so when I hit that roadblock page and I keep going and, and then I, I, I move past it, it's like I'm picking up all the different pieces and tools I need to go back and solve that page. Yeah. Cause yeah. like when I figure out that page, like, like you, you can see it in me, I'll be like, Oh my God. And I'll do like two fists in the air. I'm like, I did it. Like it, it's yeah. And so that Russ Manning approach, that's, that's so cool. Cause like in that approach, he's basically looking at the entire book all the time. Yeah. That is so cool. That's right. so smart. It's and like he's doing like 32 puzzles all at once. All he's at once, this, right? This all the edges, this feature. Do all the blues, all yeah. the greens. Yeah. And I imagine too, because like, I mean, when you see the work, if and if you pause the episode and you Google Russ Manning's work, you'll see that there is a, a, a strong command of perspective in the backgrounds and a like masterful command of figure drawing in general. And those two things can be very difficult to put together into a composition. Mm -hmm. And if you're using a lot of perspective grids or perspective tools, I mean, he's from an era where they probably were using a lot of the grid lines and a lot of that stuff. You could then, when you're feeling it, right? There's a part of your brain when you're working perspective out that it's like starts to really flow. Now you go through each piece and you apply that warmed up part of yourself in its best, most sharpened way to that spot. It's like leg day. And it's like leg day. Don't skip leg day. Don't skip perspective grid day. Don't don't skip a shimmery uh, brush wisp of metal. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. that's there's such consistency to the textures and forms in his work. Um, and I mean, this is partially working commercially was I'm sure a challenge. And when you think about how people were paid in those days, they were paid by the page which meant he, his artistic choice would withhold a month's worth of pain mm. from him until he turned in the entire issue. Yeah, because he's not actually turning in page completely. That's right. Finished Man. complete issues. What an artist. His budget's so different. Like, yeah, that's crazy. I right? Yeah, the real artist. Steven, I wish we could talk process all night long, but it seems our time together on drawing comics to Stephen Way has come to its inevitable conclusion. Stephen, thank you so much for uh, spending your time with us. Is there anything that you want to um, talk about next time that we should go change our lives around? You know, like I'm going to have to go throw out sketchbooks and stop us thinking too much about how I work. Is there anything else you want us to change in our lives? want you guys to change yeah yeah <laughs> oh my gosh yeah, drawing comics the steven way well just i don't know keep inspiring you guys keep inspiring people to do comics like like it worked on me like <laughs> like it's like man i don't know this the show is great and just i don't know just keep being part of the community it's amazing well, uh, thanks for doing your part and making the comments. This has been Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. And this is Gregory Kamichik encouraging you to join the fight, as Stephen has done, and make comments. <laughs>